Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, please uh, open them with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, a series that we entitled Servant Savior, because in this Gospel, we see Mark present Jesus as the Son of God, the Servant of Men, and the Savior of the world. And so these three qualities and characteristics are displayed in Jesus' teaching as well as his ministry. And up until this point in the Gospel of Mark, there have been many miracles that Jesus has performed. But all of these miracles deal with a personal connection with people. Not only does he have control and power over the created world, the wind and the waves and the storms, but he also has power to heal and to deliver people right where they're at. So there are a lot of people and crowds gathering. Jesus is traveling many places across the Sea of Galilee. But uh, he has empowered his disciples to continue that ministry. If you're with us last week, we looked at really the the title of Jesus as the Son of God because Jesus was um, often misunderstood. He was misunderstood by the disciples. They didn't really understand who he was. The Pharisees and the scribes misunderstood Jesus. In fact, they thought he was filled with a demon, filled with Satan. And uh, so they were coming against uh, Jesus and his ministry. Even his family, his friends, and his neighbors in his hometown misunderstood Jesus. So in chapter 6, we see the Son of God revealed. Jesus' radical ministry reveals his real identity. He was mistreated or misunderstood in his hometown. And we often find that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ... There is a past that we have. And some people, when they looked at Jesus, they said, well, isn't this the son of Mary and the son of the carpenter? And uh, they didn't understand that this was the son of God. And some people look at our lives when we come to faith in Jesus and say, well, we know who you are, but you have a new identity. Your identity is not defined by your past. It is defined by what Jesus says you are and what he has done for you on the cross. We also saw in the previous chapter that the apostles were sent on a mission and many of us are called by God. All of us are called by God. We've been given gifts and passions and we've been given a circle of friends and work and neighborhoods that we can be his witnesses and ambassadors and representatives with the power of the Holy Spirit. God will never send you anywhere without empowering you with his spirit to, uh, to accomplish all that he desires to do in your life. We also see, saw uh, John murdered and beheaded in prison and uh, that was because he took a stand for, for righteousness in his generation. And uh, we know that there is a movement in our world and culture right now to cancel or to change the word of God. To say that God's word needs to be changed to uh, match the changing times. And uh, you may have come under a lot of pressure because 
you believe in certain biblical truths and principles. But uh, we know that there can be some severe setbacks when you take a strong stance against not only sin, but also for truth and righteousness. John the Baptist was a great example of that, and he lost his head. Well, sometimes we, want, we might not lose our heads, uh, but we may lose our jobs. We may lose a friend. We may lose even a family member because we take that stance. And then lastly, we saw in the previous chapter many people seeing the miracles of Jesus. There was the feeding of the 5,000, which reminds us to take whatever we have in our hands and bring it to Jesus. He'll bless it, break it, and multiply it and use it for his purpose. We also saw Jesus walk on water and uh, Peter call out to Jesus and say, If it's you, let me come out with you. I would have loved to have been there uh, in that boat to see Peter walking on water, but then he looks at the wind, he looks at the waves, and he begins to sink. Oftentimes, when we're in the storms of life, we are gazing at the, the wind, we're gazing at the problem, we're gazing at the pain, and we only glance occasionally to Jesus. But the opposite should be. We should be fixated upon Jesus. Our eyes, as the, the, the scripture says, that uh, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, so that we're not fearful of the wind and the waves and the storms of life that come into our lives. And so in chapter 7, we see the story continue. However, uh, there is some conflict that Jesus confronts with the Pharisees and the scribes. And so what we see in this chapter is kind of a comparing and a contrasting between the hypocrisy of the religious elite and the sincerity of the broken and of the humble. And Jesus in this chapter rebukes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but he rewards the sincerity of those who come to him by faith. And we're going to see this in three ways, just a very simple outline for us. First, we're going to see the Pharisees find fault with Jesus' disciples. They're going to begin to scrutinize the actions and the deeds of the disciples. Secondly, we're going to see that Jesus finds faith in a Gentile woman. And then thirdly and lastly, we're going to see a deaf man find freedom in an unusual way through the healing work of Jesus Christ. So, a lot to get to. Let's jump into Mark chapter 7, verse 1, we read, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, we know that this, according to the Gospel of Mark, is the second official delegation that was sent from Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of of, of religion for, for Judaism at the time. And so these were official delegates from the highest ranking officials in Jerusalem. And they're coming, well we know, they're coming to criticize and to condemn. Because the first time they came, they conspired together to destroy Jesus. And Jesus constantly called out their hypocrisy. These Pharisees and scribes were the religious leaders. They were the pastors and the priests. They were the ones to know the scriptures. They were the ones to teach the scriptures. But Jesus said, on the outside, you look really good. You know all the scriptures. You can quote them by heart, but your heart is far from me. And inside it's full of deadness. And so these men come to examine the ministry of Jesus. In verse 2, now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, With unwashed hands, they found fault. Everyone say fault. Right? This is criticism. This is condemnation. This is uh, taking a legalistic approach to the deeds and the actions of the disciples. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. 
holding the tradition of the elders. So this is the issue. When they come from the marketplace, they do all these washings and many other things they do. In verse 5, then the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Everyone say tradition. So a tradition is something that you keep over time. We have many traditions that we have in, in our lives. We even have liturgy, if you will. That's kind of a a religious term, liturgy is just a format or a flow of a gathering or of a worship service. We have a liturgy that is kind of unspoken here, even at Quest Church. We open with worship, we have prayer, we have Bible study, we have worship, we have fellowship. There's a liturgy to it. Now, tradition isn't bad in and of itself, but the problem here that Jesus is addressing is that the Pharisees were promoting traditions of men over the teaching and the doctrines of the Bible and over, over, over God's word. And so uh, Jesus would go on to say later on in the Gospels that it would be better for a millstone, which is a big, heavy granite rock, to be tied around a person's neck and to be cast into the sea and drowned than to stumble any one little person who comes to God by faith. And traditions of men can put stumbling blocks in front of other people. Traditions of men and traditions of elders is a legalistic approach. It's built on works-based religion that results in fear and in condemnation. If we're following traditions of, of men, then we have to follow these rules and these regulations. If we don't follow all these rules and regulations, then we feel like God doesn't love us anymore. We feel like uh, we can't be close to God. Or we feel like we failed. Or we feel like we've lost our salvation, quote unquote. If we're not following the rules or if we've done something wrong, the issue at heart here is being cleansed. The, the Pharisees were cleansing their hands and in cleansing their hands and ceremonially cleansing all these pots and vessels for service. Remember, you and I are vessels and pots for the living Holy Spirit. And there is nothing that we can do on the outside that can cleanse us on the inside. And that's really the heart of the matter here. That's the issue that Jesus is taking with the apostle, excuse me, with the Pharisees. In verse 6, he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. Everyone say hypocrites. So Jesus is really uh, taking a severe stance against the, um, the Pharisees. Obviously the relationship is strained at this point for Jesus to say, You hypocrites. And you can imagine these religious elite being very offended by Jesus calling them hypocrites. But he quotes from Isaiah and says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Everyone say heart. The heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as the doctrines the commandments of men. Now jump down to verse 13. And because of this, by promoting traditions of men over the, over the teaching of God, they make the word of God of no effect through the tradition of which you have handed down and many other such things that they do. Now to continue the story, the disciples go to Jesus and they're, uh, they don't understand what he's saying. So in verse 17, as they entered the house, the disciples came and said, Explain this parable to us. And in verse 18, are you thus without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, 
out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceitfulness, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. And all these evil things come from within to defile a person. So, uh, we'll just pause there and make mention of a couple things in these opening verses. The Pharisees come to find fault in Jesus' apostles and in his ministry. And they come with a condemning heart. This is that official delegation to critically evaluate and examine Jesus' ministry. And these traditions were long held in this culture and even in this religion. It was an elaborate and rigid system of ceremonial cleansing based on traditions. But the problem was, is that they were equating the cleansing of the soul and the cleansing of the heart with the cleansing of the outward appearance. And the Bible says that God does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. So we have a couple things here. We have the stomach. We have the heart. We have the lips. And Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes by saying on the outside, you have lip service to God. On the outside, you look good, but your heart is far from me. You can circle that phrase and underline it because how does a heart get far from God? It's a wandering heart. Maybe it's a jaded heart. Maybe it's a hard heart. Jesus just finished teaching on the parable of the soils and described four different hearts. He talked about a hard heart that could not receive the word of God. He talked about a surface heart that uh, was only on the surface and shallow deep. He talked about a consumed and smothered heart that was worried about all the things of the world. But he also talked about a suitable heart, a heart that was open to receive. And this heart, the heart is not the organ that Jesus, Jesus isn't talking about the physical organ of your heart that's in the middle of your chest that bumps, that uh, pumps blood to the rest of your body. He's talking about who you really are. He's talking about your soul. You know, the Bible says that we should love the Lord our God, our God with all of our stomach, all of our tongues. No, he doesn't say that. Uh, he says that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's who you really are. But Jesus is describing this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, this disconnect or this hypocrisy from looking good on the outside and having our hearts far from God. And the, the explanation that Jesus gives is that serving or following Jesus goes much deeper than just lip service. And I fear that there may be people who acknowledge God just in lip, but their heart is far from him. And we don't want to have a heart that's far from God. We want to have a heart that is transformed by him. Because the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says at the end of these verses that it's from within the heart. Uh, I believe it's in um, the, the book of James uh, that talks about how there are desires that entice us in our heart. And when we give in to those desires, it, it, it brings forth death. And the heart, basically what Jesus is saying here, is that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Out of the heart, the Bible says, flows all the issues of life. And we should guard our heart. We should protect our heart. I know that there is a battle in our culture for your heart, for your affection, for your devotion, for your focus and attention, for your worship. Whatever we worship, that is what we desire. And Jesus is saying that you can actually worship 
God with just your lips, but be completely disconnected. We were praying earlier this morning and just kind of recognizing, I know even for myself, after weeks of, um, you know, just weeks of church or weeks of singing a song that you sung over and over again, or the familiarity that we have with stories in the Bible. Many of you in this room have probably read these stories hundreds of times throughout the course of your walk in faith with God. And over time, what happens is, is we become complacent, and we just kind of go through the motions, and we say the words, but is there really a connection with the heart? Because God wants to get to your heart level. And minister to the heart level. Because it's at the heart level where spiritual surgery takes place. It's at the heart level where cleanliness happens. Because the traditions of men or the legalistic approach of religion will push upon us rules and regulations. And on the outside, we follow these rules. But what happens when you don't read your Bible for one day? You feel like God doesn't love you anymore. Or you're a complete failure. Or you feel like... You didn't follow the rules the right way. So God is withdrawing from you or he's giving you the silent treatment. And that's religion. It's fear and condemnation. But the Bible says that those who are in Christ, there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. That we have been given life and life more abundantly through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only way to cleanse the heart level the soul level, the deep level, the real level of who you are. So the Pharisees and the scribes uh, were looking at the outward, but Jesus was focusing in on the heart. Remember this, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Jesus wants your heart. It's all about the heart. And um, when you surrender your heart to Jesus and you allow the word of God to fall upon your heart and you are filled with the Holy Spirit in your life, then that is where cleansing comes from. That is where healing and transformation and change come from. And then what happens, you have change from the inside out, not from the outside in. A lot of times we think, well, if I got to be a really good Christian, I just got to have everything in line and in order. But we realize that all of us are messy, broken, just confused people. And when we get together, then we got a bunch of issues that we just got to work through. And we work through them by bringing them to Jesus. But the, but the cool thing about that is that when we let Jesus do the heart surgery, then those things that are grieving us in our lives, then those wickedness, thefts, covetousness, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. You might be thinking, I have murdered anybody, but Jesus said if you think hate towards somebody in your heart, you have committed murder in your heart. Not in your hand, but in your heart. And so Jesus will change the outward behavior the outward manifestation of what God is doing in your heart inwardly. That's the only way that you can be fully cleansed by Jesus. And so Jesus takes this very seriously. As the Pharisees come to find fault, Jesus reveals the true issue of the heart. And in these verses, Jesus basically declares all food clean. These are traditions. He declares all food clean because it's not what goes into your body that defies you, but what is inside your heart. Now, secondly, 
The story continues. As Jesus continues his travels, he encounters a Gentile woman. Look with me in verse 24. And from there, Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. So he needed some time, some space. He was going to take a nap, I guess, you know, uninterrupted time. And uh, because there's a lot going on, he's traveling, he's ministering. The previous chapter said they didn't even have enough time to eat food. And so uh, they're looking for rest. In verse 25, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. This is the fourth individual in the series of the past two chapters where when Somebody who was broken, grieving, and desperate fell at the feet of Jesus. This really is a picture of surrender. It's a picture of worship. It's a picture of release and just, God, I am so desperate for you. And many times we go through life, seasons of life, where we are just on our faces before God. There's nothing. We have no strength. We have just nothing. And we just come to him and we worship him. And I just love how our worship team leads us in worship every single week, from week to week, whether it's a full ensemble or whether it's just an acoustic guitar and, and a, a cajon drum, whatever it is, it's not about the instruments. Worship is not about the instruments. Worship is not about who's on stage. Worship is about turning. Actually, the word is to turn and to kiss, to embrace, to turn from the things of our life and to embrace what Jesus has done for us. He has done the This chapter ends with, I think, one of the greatest quotes in the Bible where people saw the healing miracle of Jesus and they say, Jesus has done all things well. I think that might should be a worship song if it's not. But Jesus does all things well. And as he's done all things well in our lives, no matter what pain we are going through, we can always praise. No matter what storm we are going through, we can always seek him in worship. And so this woman, she's desperate. We're told that her daughter has an unclean spirit. Now, in Mark, it's quite a quick little story here. But if you go into Matthew chapter 15, you can jot that down on the side margin of your Bible. That's where this story is recorded in Matthew. We see that this woman kept asking. Notice, she falls at his feet and this woman cries out. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. Obviously, this mother is broken. She has no way to heal her daughter. She's probably tried every way to heal her daughter. And she comes, she keeps asking. Now, the um, account in Matthew tells us that she was crying out with a loud voice as she was following behind Jesus, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus said not a word. Jesus was silent when she was crying out for help. And we're also told that Jesus' closest followers, his apostles and his disciples, were saying, send this woman away. Now, I don't know, but maybe you can relate to whatever you might be going through in life right now. Either one or two of those scenarios where you feel like you're getting the silent treatment from God in your pain and in your despair. That God is not answering even a word when you cry out to him. Or you're being pushed away by other people who claim to be Christ followers. Who claim to have the love of Jesus Christ. And you're getting the stiff arm from them. So you got the silent treatment from God. You have the stiff arm from the church or from a supposed Christian. 
And what do you do? Well, this woman is a great example for us when we're in those situations. You keep asking. You keep seeking. You keep pursuing. Because in verse 27, eventually, Jesus answered and said, Let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Can't Jesus just answer simply? Well, the children are the children of Israel. And Jesus said in his ministry that he has come to preach to the children of Israel. And uh, he is the fulfillment as the Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures and the Levitical law. However, we're told in the promise of, of Abraham as the father of faith that this gospel and salvation would not be exclusive to the children of Israel. They have a very spe- uh, specific and unique role in human history. However, the gospel and salvation and forgiveness of sin is extended to all people. So in the previous verses, Jesus declared all food clean. In this verse, as he heals this Gentile Greek woman, he declares all people clean. He declares that there is nobody, whether it's your culture or your race or your background or your history or your experience or your color of your skin or the language of your tongue, that all people have the same access to Jesus. And he calls her a little dog. Now, this actually is a derogatory term during this time. But if you add the, little, the, the word little to this, it softens the blow. It's, um, it actually almost, in some sense turns it into a term of endearment. And it's kind of hard because uh, we would think, wow, is this guy, is Jesus calling this woman a dog? No, he's drawing her in to continue seeking him. And she responds by faith in verse 28. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come out of her house, she found the demon gone out. And her daughter lying on the bed. Secondly, in these verses, we see that Jesus finds faith in a Gentile woman. She's broken and desperate for the healing of her daughter. There's a brokenheartedness that comes out of this woman's desperate pleas and cries for mercy. Have mercy upon me. But as I mentioned earlier, Jesus was silent. Listen, this is important. Sometimes in very difficult seasons of life, the cries of our gut are met with the silence of our God. Sometimes that's just the case. And you are crying out from your gut, from the deepest part of who you are. God, have mercy upon me. But listen, friends, God's silence in prayer does not mean his absence in the pain. He's there with you. He will leave you nor forsake you. He's hearing every cry. In fact, the scripture says that he inclines his ears to our cries. He he draws near to the brokenhearted. And this woman is a picture of the brokenheartedness of life and of despair. She does not know where to turn. She cries out to God, but she continues. Actually, what she does is she cries out. Jesus is silent, so she falls down and worships. That's a great picture. If you are in a moment where you feel like Jesus is silent in your cries for help, then just worship. Lift up a hallelujah. (laughs) Lift up a praise. You see, when God delays his plans in your lives, we just commit to devote our praise to him. When there's a delay, when there's a pause, when there's a silence, 
when there's a moment where we can't understand, those are the times where we devote our praise to him. Those are the times where we just lift up. You know, I see many of you as we're worshiping in the beginning of our service with your hands lifted up. That's just a great picture of surrender. Lord, I just open up my heart. I open up my life. I give it to you. I surrender all. Would you use me? Would you fill me? Would you help me? I'm crying out to you. Even though God may delay certain things in your life, it does not mean that he is denying you. He's preparing you. And in those times of preparation, it's great opportunity to devote ourselves to praise. And Jesus says, Oh, sweet little woman, uh, there's a time and a place where healing will happen. And ultimately, you know, we live in a life where we're not always going to be healed. We have broken bones. We have all kinds of issues going on. I was just talking to somebody uh, during service or before service and saying that I have to start. I'm, I'm up for a new eye exam. And uh, when I get this eye exam, I have to get, I call them bifocals, but uh, they're progressives or however, transitions, I don't know what they're called, but I can't see. Who's with me on that? I mean, now as I get older, my Bible is getting further and further away. I can't see far away. I can't see even close up. And uh, I I just need Jesus to touch my eyes and, and fix me and heal me because lasers in my eyes will only fix one thing and then I have to wear glasses for the other thing. Our bodies are falling apart. It's a part of life and it's the process of, uh, of death. But our soul and our heart is being renewed by Jesus Christ. And uh, even though we may have a lot of brokenness in our physical bodies, there can be healing that Jesus does Um, and cleansing that Jesus does in our lives. And what Jesus says to this woman and how she responds by faith shows us that you and I can be little in fame, but great in faith. This woman had no claim to fame. She was discarded by Jesus' followers. She was seemingly ignored by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. She was pushed away by society and the doctors who could not help and heal her daughter. She had no fame. She had no reputation. She had no recognition. We don't even know her name. But you can be little in fame like this woman, but you can be great in faith, increasing in faith, growing in faith. And in order to grow in faith, we need to increase and grow in the consumption of the Word of God. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. Can you relate to some of this woman's experience? I hope you can, maybe, as you're going through some pain and you're crying out to Jesus, and he's just silent right now. I want to encourage you that even though he's silent, does not mean he's absent. He's preparing and perfecting his plan and his purpose in your life. But we can also continue to reach out and to cry out and extend Uh, not only faith and trust in Jesus when it's uncertain, but also double down on worshiping him because he's good, he's faithful. And maybe you just need to lock the kids in one of those side rooms and lock yourself in another room and praise and worship undistracted. Whatever you need, whatever moments you have, maybe you don't even have that moment. Do you realize that you can pray without ceasing? 
You can worship without ceasing because worship is not done in a building or a location. Of course, it is as a corporate gathering. But we are encouraged in the scriptures to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable worship, that our lives can be an expression of worship and service to him. In our brokenheartedness, cry out to God. And Jesus will extend his kind-heartedness to us in healing. And then lastly, we see a man healed by Jesus who was deaf and mute. We'll read these verses and just make mention of a couple of things. Verse 31, again, departing from the region Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis. Now, you should remember that word from chapter 5 because it was there that Jesus delivered a man who was demon-possessed and he told this man to go into Decapolis, into these 10 cities in the region, and tell all the people of the good things that God has done for you. So Jesus is traveling back around through this area. And they brought him, excuse me, and they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment of speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. Notice, these are friends. These are people who knew this man and the desperate condition he was in. So his friends bring him and his friends intercede for him. And he took him aside, that is the man who was deaf, from the multitude, put his finger in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Okay, everybody put your fingers in your ears. Now, no one spit on the ground, please. This is holy ground. No. This is really unique. If you've been tracking with us or you're familiar with Jesus' healing ministry, this is absolutely unique. He's never done this before. And I love that Jesus does things outside of the box. There is no tradition. There is no form. I got to do it this way. Jesus pulls this man aside and he puts his finger in his ears and he spits and touches his tongue. Ew, gross. I don't want that. Can you imagine how open this man was to what Jesus was was doing with him in this private interaction. There's a trust that this man had. And immediately his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was loosed. And he spoke plainly. And then he commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. Circle that phrase in the person's Bible sitting behind you right now. Just do it. It's good. Tweet it. Highlight it. Hashtag it. Whatever you need to do. Remember it. Tuck it in your heart when you feel like that which is going on in your life is not good. Oh, it's not good right now. Jesus does all things well. As you trust him, cry out to him, worship him, he will do all things. He is working out all things for good in your life. As you are called by him and love him and live according to his work and his pleasure in your life. He's done all things well. And so this deaf man finds freedom in an unusual way. But notice a couple things. First is he had really good friends. And we saw this with the man who was bedridden. And his friends dug a hole in the roof and lowered him down before Jesus. Very similar to what this man is doing or what these friends are doing for this deaf man. They bring him to Jesus. And I think godly friends earnestly and frequently intercede for other people. You may be 
the only person who is praying for your unsaved neighbor. You may be the only person, and God has placed you in that neighborhood. He's given you that relationship. He's placed you in that work or in that school or in that class. You may be the only Jesus that they will ever see or experience in a tangible, real, personal way. And for Jesus to just flow through you and to be praying for other people, praying for them by name and interceding for them. But there are people everywhere looking for somewhere to find hope. They're broken. They're lost. And for us who are Christ followers, we have the cure. We have the hope. We have the healing. We have the truth. And as we share that with other people, but also pray for other people, you can commit this week to be praying for those who are deaf and blind, whose hearts are hard. I'm talking spiritually. Spiritually, Jesus says, I have come to open up the ears and to bring healing to a sight to the blind, not only physically, but also spiritually. There's a spiritual darkness that is over people's souls. And Jesus is the only one as we shine that light to reveal that truth, bringing people, praying for people, interceding for people. But the scripture actually says that before he did this, he sighed. That's from Matthew chapter 15. He sighed. He grieved. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know how he did it. That sounds, that sounds a little negative. Maybe it was just out of exhaustion because of the physical human nature of Jesus at this time. But maybe he was grieved. Maybe he sighed because he was grieved. And I think it's probably the latter. That our sorrows sadden Jesus as much as they sadden us. As much as they grieve us. Maybe he was like, oh, I can't wait till the day where there is no more tears. Where there is no more pain. Where everything has been restored. As the scripture says, he has done all things well. Jesus' method of healing, as we see in this gospel, is quite unique to the person who he is dealing with. And I take great comfort because the healing that you may see in another person, whether it's in their heart or even physically, because I still believe that God can heal physically, even to this day, with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can go to your doctor and say, the doctor will say, well, it's gone. And you say, I don't know how it happened. Well, you can tell them, I know how it happened. Jesus Christ healed me. And let me tell you about the one who was the great physician. But we also can see that God will do healing in different ways. And maybe God's going to do something fresh and unique outside of the box. We often think of plan A, plan B, and plan C. Well, what if there is a plan D? What if God has something, an option, a plan, and a purpose that he is working in your life outside of the box? And it is, listen, friends, it is unique to you so that you know Jesus is touching your ears, so that you know Jesus is talking with you. So you know it's Jesus has done the surgery or the healing, not whatever it is, right? This is the method of healing in a uniqueness with the person he is dealing. And then lastly, as we said, our worship team can come on up. Just a reminder of a couple of things here is that if Jesus has done all things well, he has created all that we see and it is well and it is good. His performance of creation is well. His performance of restoration and healing in the body is well. But listen, friends, his performance 
of redemption on the cross is well and good. And you and I can experience cleansing from within, being made new by embracing his grace through faith in the work of the cross. So a couple of takeaways. One is that we can allow God this week or even right now as we sing this song, maybe there are some things in the heart that you need God to cleanse. Ask him to purify your heart through confession as well as through repentance, but also to accept that God is with you in the despair, even when he seems distant. He is with you. There's a truth and a promise that we can stand upon. And then then lastly, we can anticipate that God may intervene in our lives in fresh, new ways as we trust him. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives. We thank you for this chapter that shows us your personal touch. And we do not want to be caught up in traditions or religion or legalism or fear or works-based pleasing you. Because you've done everything that we can't do. And I pray that you would obliterate all of that. And also, Lord, we don't want to just go through the motions and just have lip service. Just on the outside, say the right things. When the heart is far from you. I pray if there's anyone in this room or anyone who's joined us online or anyone who is listening to this podcast right now in their car, If you feel like your heart is far from God, God has not walked away from you. So oftentimes we have taken the step away from him. And all it takes is one simple step back to him by faith. Take that next step in drawing close to him as he draws close to you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.